0: Good morning I guess it's not really a secret what we're going to be talking about this morning. I invite you to turn in your copies of god 's Word to the book of Ephesians chapter six. I want to begin our morning speaking about adoption um by looking at Ephesians chapter six, and while you're turning there, my name is Brian Trias, I'm the family pastor. It is great to be here with you this morning, and we're just going to read a section a section here of Scripture from Ephesians six six ten through eighteen. It says, "Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil." So as we wrap up our study of Ephesians, in Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul is wanting to make sure you understand who you are. That in Christ you are a new creation. That you are in Christ. That you have been moved from death to life. That you have a new identity. That you have a new reality. That everything about you has changed. You were once dead and now you are alive. And Paul goes to great lengths in chapters 1 through 3 of making sure you understand who you are. Are. And in Ephesians 4:1 he takes a hinge and he goes in a different direction and if you understand who you are in Christ then in 4:1 may you walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called you have been given a new name you are a believer in Jesus Christ you are to look different And in Ephesians 4, it looks like it it paints a picture of all the things that we used to define us. The lying, the stealing, the cheating. And he says, you should not do these things anymore, but you should forgive one another and love one another. In Ephesians 5.1, he'll say, be imitators of Christ. He is your guide. He is the one you look to. He is the one that you try to resemble and imitate every day of our lives. And then he begins to get real. He talks about the relationships that this looks like. In Ephesians 5.21, he's going to say, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everyone who is a believer of Christ is called to submit to another believer. There is no levels, there is no staggered levels of greatness. We are called to submit to one another, to lay our desires down, to lay ourselves down for the good of one another. Then he goes on to talk about the marriage relationship about husbands and wives and love and respect. He talks about the family relationship between parents and children. He talks about the employer-employee relationship and how our changed lives need to influence that. And we get to Ephesians 6. And Paul tells us to stand. Why does he feel the need to tell us to stand firm in what we know and who we are to be? Because it's difficult. Ephesians 6.12 tells us why. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is going to be outside external forces that are trying to rip into you to cause you to be fruitless and useless in your walk with Christ. And as we do that, we are not standing firm. And what Christ has called us to. And what Paul has called us to. And so now we have the opportunity to stand. And Paul gives us the armor of God. So that we can know how to stand. And he begins talking about the belt of truth. Fasten on that belt of truth that holds everything together. When you understand who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. Stand firm in that truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know the way that you used to be. You weren't created to do that anymore. You're created to thrive in your relationship, with Christ' relationship with Christ. Put on His spotless righteousness as a breastplate to protect you. I'll talk about the, the shoes that we have that are the shoes of peace, that are the gospel that we are to to have it, to move us. That we stand on. We stand and live because of the gospel. We have faith and salvation that we can put on knowing that our future is secure, our eternity is set. It gives us hope and security. We have the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. It is what Jesus used when he was tempted in the wilderness. He swung his sword at the devil by quoting the word of God to Satan and Satan went away. And these are the weapons that we have to stand firm. Firm. And it is our job to stand firm as an individual in Christ, but it is also our job to stand firm as a body of Christ together. And so when we come to the issue of adoption, I want to call us to stand in the truth that we know. And the truth that I want to talk about this morning is three words. And I believe if we get a grip on these three words, we're going to have a very good understanding of what our story is. And the first word I want to talk about this morning is the word image. It's the word image. And the first time we come to the word image in the Bible, it's in Genesis chapter 1. It's in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and I'm just going to read 27 for you. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what are the implications of image? The implications of image is that every single human being has value. They have dignity. They have worth. There are not people that have the image of God and people who do not have the image of God. All of us were made in the image of God. It is a profound reality. And what does that mean? That means we are all created to reflect God's glory in this world. That when you see me, you should see God. When I see you, I should see God in you. But we live on the other side of Genesis 3. We know that in Genesis 3 that the fall happened. That man and woman looked at God and they looked at the tree and they looked at the serpent and they chose themselves. They trusted themselves over trusting God and there they fell dead in a garden. And through that one man, sin and death entered this world. And through sin and death, that image of God in us was defaced. It doesn't quite look right. It's like a smashed mirror where you can see little bits and pieces of yourself, but you can't see clearly. And so when I look at you and when you look at me, we see the flaws, we see all the things that aren't right, and we don't always see God in one another. And that is what we are created to do. We are created to image God back. We are created to reflect Him. But if you look closely, you will see the image of God in every single person that He has made. Because that is what we were created to do. You were created to image God whether you love him or not. And as you become a believer and as God is putting the pieces back together in your life, you begin to see more clearly that image. It was defaced, but it was not erased. We can still see it in one another. And as the spirit of the living God is at work transforming our likeness into that of Christ's, we see more clearly. And we have the opportunity to better reflect God in this world. Image. It's why we were created. We are created to reflect God's glory in this world. The second word I want to talk to you about this morning is identity. Who are you? Paul gives us a pretty good description of who we are in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 3 through 14 for you. And I'm going to put some special emphasis on a couple of phrases. And if you pick up on the couple of phrases that I really want you to emphasize this morning, I would encourage you to circle them. Because once you understand what Paul is doing in this passage, it becomes incredibly beautiful. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. I know you heard it. In Him, in Christ, it is who we are. When you have trusted in the work of the Son, When you realize that the Father loved us enough to send His one and only Son to this earth to die a death in our place on our behalf so our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to the Father. And in the place of our sin, He has given us His righteousness. When we understand that and believe in the one and only Son of God, we are now in Christ And it becomes the fundamental characteristic of who we are. We are no longer our career. We are no longer our hobbies. We are not our background or our story. We are in Christ. It is the single greatest thing that defines who we are. And for some of you this morning, this is the most important thing that you could hear. That there is a God in heaven who loved you. Who didn't want you to stay separated from him in your sin. But he loved you enough to send his one and only son so that you could be in Christ. I know this is a Thanksgiving weekend and a lot of times people get dragged to church and families go to church together. I have no idea who is is in this room. But if you are here today and your story is not defined by in Christ. I encourage you to grab the person you're with, grab someone in another row, come grab a pastor or someone after and say, tell me about Jesus. Because I want that to be my identity. You were created in the image of God. You are created to reflect God-like glory in this world. And God has created us to know his son, to find our identity in Jesus. And when we find our identity in Jesus, we become... The third word, adopted or adoption. Now that's one of those words that you say it and instantly people have some feelings they attach onto that word. Some people have been in a family where they've undergone adoption and they've done it and it has been a joyous, a great thing for their family, a thing to be celebrated. And they hear that word and it just brings joy to their heart. And some people hear that word and they think of a family member or they think of their own experience and it hasn't been great and it's been really hard and painful. Some people have worked with people who have been adopted and and seen the, the great story of it. And some people have worked with people who have been adopted and seen the baggage. And that word just carries a connotation with it that sometimes is really positive and sometimes can be really negative. Well, what I want to do today is talk about how adoption is our story. And how it is a great and gracious thing that God did. And so to talk about what it means for us adopted, to be adopted, we have to talk about what our reality was. And the reality is, is that when we were born, Ephesians 2 will tell us that we were dead in our sins. Romans 3 will tell us that there is no one righteous, not even one. There was no one who sought God. You hold a baby in your hands for the first time and there couldn't be a greater feeling of joy. I remember looking down at my kids and just being overwhelmed that God would trust me with this, this awesome little boy and girl. But what scripture tells us is even though we are alive and breathing and kicking, when we are born, we are born dead. And that is just not the story of the people that we don't want to talk about. That is the story of every one of us. We were born dead in our sins. But God said that that was not okay. He wanted a. He had a plan for us. He wanted us to be with Him, and so Ephesians two four and five, He says this. He says, even when we are dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You are no longer dead when you are in Christ. When you have been adopted, you have been brought over. You have been made alive. Your identity has changed. You have a new one. You are no longer dead. You are no longer stillborn. You are here. You are alive in Christ. When you have been adopted by God, he has changed your identity. You are no longer dead. You are alive. You've also been given a new address. A new address, you start, over, you start off over here and you are in the domain of darkness. That sounds like a place that no one would want to go, but yet it is the most comfortable place we know because this is the way we were born. We were born dead in our sins and we are comfortable in this domain of darkness. We take joy in the things here because it is what we know. But God has given us a new address. He tells us in Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. No longer are we dead. We've been made alive. No, no longer are we living in the domain of darkness. We get to live in the kingdom of His beloved Son. We have a new address. When we're adopted, we don't stay where we are. It is brand new. And that mirrors what adoption looks like in this world. When we go into a story and we remove someone from a story and bring them into a new one. And God has done that for us. We were dead, now we're alive. We're in the domain of darkness. We're now in the kingdom of the beloved son. But he has also given us a new position. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 will say this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, when we're over here and we are dead in our trespasses and sin, and we are residing in the domain of darkness, we are a slave to sin. We can't help but obey its desires. We can't help but give in, because it is what we are. And God has said, I'm not done with you. I am going to take you from death and I want to move you into life. I want to bring you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of my beloved son and you are no longer a servant. And I can't help but think of the story of the prodigal son because it's our story. We were here. We were that kid. And that kid went to his father and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. All the things that I would get when you pass away and leave me, I want it now. I want it my way. That's his fine. Go. Here's your inheritance. And the Bible says that he went off and he squandered it on wild living. That he lived to please himself and to please his friends. And he grew in influence and power. And he grew in relationships. And then the money went dry. And he was left without any friends and without any money and without a place to go. And so he turned to a pig farm. And he lived with the pigs and he fed the pigs and he ate what the pigs ate until he had just had enough and he said, I'm done. I'm going to go back to my father. But what did he say to himself? He didn't say, I'm going to go back and ask for my place back. He said, I'm going to go and beg him. I'm going to plead with him. Make me a servant because I am not worthy to be a son. And so he goes back to his father and he pleads and says, Father, and the father, when the son was a long way off, ran off and he met him and he wouldn't hear of it. He said, my son, I'm going to give you the ring off of my finger. I'm going to give you the robe off of my back. I'm going to slay the fatted calf, one of our prized possessions, and we are going to have a party to end all parties. Why? Why? Because my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. And God says, you are no longer a slave to sin but you are not just now a slave to me. You're not just going to call me master, even though he is our master. We're not just going to call him Lord, even though he is our Lord. We're not just going to call him king. We are going to get to call him father. We get to call him father. Now, a lot of people have take offense to this. They look around at the state of our world they say, man, I had a terrible home growing up. I don't, I, I don't want anything like my father in my life. Take, take a look at the stats of what the country looks like and what the world looks like about fathers being gone and not in the picture. Why would God identify himself with fathers? It's because he set it up that way. He's the one who put a child into the home of a parent with a mother and a father. He is the one who has placed a desire in us to have a father who treats us a certain way. If you think about it, whether we've been in a home with a dad who has pointed us to Jesus well, or we've been in a home where we have had a dad who has not pointed us to Jesus well, there is something about that relationship that we crave. We crave. We want our dads to speak life into us. We want our dads to protect us. We want our dads to be there for us, to never let us go. And our earthly fathers, they are going to fail. I am going to fail my children. But we have a heavenly father who will always be there. We have a heavenly father who will never give up on us. We have a heavenly father who has provided every spiritual blessing for us in Christ. And we get to call him dad. Why? Because he adopted us. Because he has taken us from death and he has moved us into life. He has taken us from the domain of darkness and moved us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He has made us no longer a slave to sin, but has made us a son. A co-heir with Christ. We get a seat at the table. Everything about us, our position has changed. We are sons and daughters of the king, but not because God was forced to. He had no duty. He had no responsibility to reach into our stories and adopt us and bring us out. Absolutely not. He had no obligation. He did it of his own free will, and he did not do it because we were deserving of it. He did it despite us. And out of his great grace, he reached down into our story and lifted us up. And because of his son, was able to move us into our new identity and our new calling and our new position and our new address. We get to call him father. And that means the greatest story of our lives. The story that defines our existence is the story of adoption. And if that is the story that defines who we are in Christ, then we have some responsibilities. If our adoption is our defining story and if our identity is found in Christ, then we have a responsibility to image that story to the world. There's a world out there that needs to know his story and what he has done in adoption. There is a world of kids out there who need to understand what adoption means and what we can teach through that and what we can live out through that. That just as we are created to reflect God in all ways, we are created to reflect God's heart in adoption. If we do not believe God's heart is in adoption, we are ignoring the story of Scripture. That is our story. And so I want to talk about reality. I want to talk about what it looks what adoption statistics look like in our state. And in talking about Kansas, I in no way am saying that we have a greater need than other states than other countries. There is a great need across our country. There is a greater need across our world. But we live in Kansas. and I want to know what it would look like for a church to get serious about adoption. And so here are the numbers. 928, That's How many children who are awaiting adoption in Kansas as of September 30th of 2012. These are 928 children who have been terminated from their parents and they're awaiting a new place for them to reside. Their average age is eight and a half. It's a frightening number for me. Because I know in working with kids and reading uh, reading statistics about kids that 12 is a very important age. You see, by the age of 12, if a child has not chosen to um, uh, trust in Christ, the statistics will tell you that the chances are very, very, very high that they never will. Now, I know God can step into a story, and God can transform even the hardest heart. But that age of 12 is so unbelievably important. A child's worldview between the age of 9 and 12 is when they're the most, most moldable, most vulnerable, because it is that time where once they have set their worldview, the likelihood of them changing is not high. And so here we have children who are made in the image of God, who have dignity and worth and value, who are of need of people to come in and share their story with them. Of those 928, 69 of those children are waiting in adoption in Shawnee County, the county in which we reside. There are 6,336 children who are in the Department of Children's and Families Custody as of September 30th, 2012. They are in situations that are bad. They're looking for a temporary place for them to get where they can have a home where someone will come and love them. It's not a long-term solution, but it's a short-term fix. And for that short-term fix, we have the opportunity to share with them God's love and God's heart and God's truth. And of that 6,000 number, 1,787 of those are in the east region of our state, which includes our county and our city. The statistics can be overwhelming. There's a world of children out there who are in need of the gospel and who are in need of someone to show them the love of God that we have so richly been shown. So I want to talk about a next step. And when you walked in, you were given a card like this. I, w- I want to ask every one of you to get this card out. And I want to take a load right off the top and say, if you, if you touch a pen to this card, you're not walking home with a child today. <laughs> okay, I just You're fine. But I do want to encourage every one of you to fill out this card. I want to encourage every one of you to fill out this card because we are all called to be a part of adoption whether we have a child in our home or not. Adoption is very dear to the heart of God. It is the story that defines our lives. If it's the story that defines our lives, we have a responsibility to image that story out. And so your name, your email, your phone go on here and you can take this card out to a table that will be on the right-hand side of the lobby if you're facing this way. We have a table there run by an, an organization called Project Belong. And Project Belong is trying to find orphans a place for, to belong. We know this is close to the heart of God. In James 1.27, he says, Pure and undefiled religion is this, that you take care, that you meet the widow and the orphan in their hour of need. And so we want to be a church that's obedient to that call. And there are three ways that you can do this. The first way is that you can commit to pray. You can commit to pray, and that can look like a few different things. That could look like you just praying to God that he would talk to you about adoption and where you're at right now and whether that's something you need to open your heart to. You can pray for adoption of children, that they would be safe, that these 928, that they would have some level of security and that they would get in a home quickly where they could be shown God's love. But if you take your card back to that table and turn it in and you ask for a card, they will give you the name of a child who's in need of adoption and so that you can pray for a child by name. That God would do something in their lives and move them in an environment where they could receive the love of God. I believe as Christians we're all called to pray because prayer is not about us changing God as if the pot can look at the potter and say, you made me wrong. You know, prayer is about God changing us. And I believe that us as individuals and us as a body of Christ, if we were to commit to pray to this, that we would see God move in a special way toward these children. The second way that you can help on this card is you can say, I would like to provide resources. Maybe you find yourself in an environment where maybe you are trying to get used to your six kids and adding another right now is not a really good thing. Or maybe you're past your prime of parenting or you haven't entered your prime of parenting yet and you just don't know that having a child in your home is what you need to do right now. But you're like, I need to help because God's heart is adoption. I need to be part of adoption. You can provide resources, you can mow a lawn, you can take a meal. You could provide a a respite night, a night for family to drop them the kids off where you can love on those kids for a few hours where mom and dad get some much-needed time off. You can provide resources. And the third thing that I want to uh, highlight is I am considering adoption. Again, if you check that, you're not going home with someone today. But what you're saying is when you check off that box and you go back and talk to them is that you're willing to listen. We're having an information meeting here and they have a brochure in the lobby with all the details on that meeting that will talk about the the hows, the wins, the what's of adoption. That talk about what it means and what it looks like and what you need and how you prepare that gets you ready for it. And I believe in a church our side that God has already prepared families with the love and the resources needed to tell his story to a group of kids that needs it. I wish I could sit up here today and tell you that adoption was a fairy tale. That if you sign up and you you go and you take a kid, everything is going to be smooth sailing and easy. But our very existence will tell you that it's not. Adoption is very costly, it's going to cost you stress, it's going to cost you time, it's going to cost a lot of your energy. It's going to cost a lot of financial resources. But I'm reminded of the cost of our adoption. You see, our adoption wasn't cheap. And our adoption was not merely God going, oh, I see you and you're over here and you're dead and I'm going to move you from death to life and I'm going to to change your address and you are no longer a servant, you're a slave. That was really easy. No. God's story. God's story is that he sent his one and only son to this world and he died on a cross in our place. He died a death that we should have died so that we could be forgiven, that we could have reconciliation with God, that we could be adopted. You see, God reaching down into our story and changing our identity cost him the life of his son. And in a world where we're created to reflect and image him, we can only expect that it's going to be costly to adopt. But our adoption was worth it. And joining God in adoption is worth it as well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, your word is full of instructions and commands to take care of the orphan and to take care of the widow and take care of the downtrodden. And we have been confronted with the reality that there are so many children out there who need a home. But we're also confronted with the reality of our story that we are, when we are in Christ, that you have adopted us as sons and daughters of the King, that we are no longer just slaves to sin. We are your sons and your daughters. We are co heirs with Christ. We are part of your family forever and ever. Father, may we have the courage to do something about adoption. May we have the courage to reflect what you have done in our lives and the lives of children across the state, nation, and world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.